Well, hey there, Terrible Warriors. I want to thank you for spending time with me as we go through all of these really interesting conversations and interviews. And I know you're here for our actual play content. You're here to hear us actually play tabletop role-playing games. So I'm here to tell you that next week we're going to be back at it. We're actually going to be back at it twice a week for the next six weeks with three back-to-back Kickstarter specials. Starting next week, we're going to be playing Root from Magpie Games, which will be starting its Kickstarter on September 17th. Immediately following that, we'll be playing Ross Rifles from Dundas West Games, which is starting its Kickstarter in October. And immediately following that, we'll be playing Visigoths vs. Molgoths by Lucian Khan, which is also running its Kickstarter in October. I know, there's a lot of really cool games coming out, and we want to make sure that they are getting supported and that they are going to exist in the future. So... To get it all done in time so that we're doing these games before those Kickstarters are over, we are going to release every Tuesday and Thursday, completing our entire games in two weeks each as we play through Root, Ross Rifles, and Visigoths vs. Malgoths. Got it? Cool. Today on The Terrible Warriors, we've got one last interview to share with you. And it's thematically appropriate, because he's the creator behind the Root tabletop role-playing game, the one we're going to be playing next week. I got to spend the weekend at Gen Con at the Magpie booth showing off Zombie World, and so I couldn't walk away from the Gen Con floor without pulling Brendan Conway aside. Not only is he involved in designing the Root role-playing game, which we'll be playing next week, did I mention that part yet? But he was also the designer behind the Masks role-playing game that we have played several times here on the show, as well as a brand new announcement of a game far off on the horizon called Armored Society. So it's a little bit of a past, present, and future conversation. Now, I may have gotten a chance to meet Brendan, but you're meeting him for the first time, so... Let me take you back to the floor at Gen Con those few weeks ago and let Brendan introduce himself to you. I am one of the co-owners of Magpie Games uh, and I'm their production manager and I am the uh, game designer and writer for Masks New Generation. I'm one of the co-designers of Zombie World and I was the lead on that project. I will be the lead on the upcoming Root RPG uh, and yeah, those are the things that occur to me right now in this moment at 50% brain capacity. So past, present, and future then. In the past, okay, masks came around. We've done masks. We did it once on the show, and then it was a huge success. We did a second one in a parallel reality to the first game, and then that was a huge success. And then like a few years later, we did masks a third time because it was voted for by our Patreon, and we did another like in the multiverse. And now we've got this like shared masks multiverse thing going on with Instead of like the Justice League, they're called the Zodiac, and they're all there's one hero in each universe that's like appointed to keep the walls up, and it's just, it's it's fun and it's weird and it's how did masks come around? Because masks is also it's not just a superhero RPG; it's a very particular story of a superhero RPG. It's laser focused on. I love how it's comfortable in what it is and what it's not. So why and how and like like masks is it just seems like one of those. Oh, of course. And then 
and then how did this not happen before? And so how did it come to be? What what is what is Mask's origin story? Yeah. Uh, so I can actually really trace it back to seeing a particular cover from Brian Michael Bendis's run on the X-Men when the young X-Men had come forward in time. And so it was this perfect encapsulation of a kind of nonsense that I adore, where the younger time-traveling version of Cyclops was kissing X-23, the teenage girl clone of Wolverine. And I'm like, all of this is amazing. And I want a game that can produce this moment with that level of complexity and insanity and canon and drama and the teen angst. All the uh, messy teen emotions. All and- of it. All I, w- I want to have the idea that, like, there's the adult versions of us and they hate each other, but we're here kissing. And all of that made me immediately start looking for a game to do it. And that led me down the journey of, okay, is there an existing game that I can hack for this? Well, there are a few. Monster Hearts is exactly where I started with. And part of it's because Mutant Hearts immediately leaps to mind. is a great name. And it just didn't quite do what I wanted in this context. Like, Monster Hearts is fantastic at doing it what it's designed for, but it didn't quite hit this moment of young superheroes that I was looking for. And then I started watching Young Justice over and over and over and over and over and reading Young Avengers and really getting into the source material and realizing the things that I wanted to do. And finally, I synced it up with things I wanted to reflect from my own experience growing up and the way that I felt when I was coming of age and uh, the way that I sort of felt like the adults were telling me who to be and how to act. Um, And so all of that together combined to slowly but surely shape a very specific version of the thing that I wanted so that eventually I did get to a place where it could do that scene out of that X-Men cover but it was also important to me to make sure that it went beyond that and it did other things that I felt said and, and meant things. I was thinking, because we've also done Monster Hearts, and the big thing with Monster Hearts is you can't avoid the turn-on move, right? Yep. So it's all about these messy hormones and emotions and, yep. and, and not just your identity, but also your sexual identity and, yes. and, and really getting under the skin and getting real messy with this period in that life and with masks it's always at least when i've played it with my with my other players it's that sliding scale on your stats and it's this everything is pushing you to tell you what to become and you don't know who you are yet you you don't know even your powers are to what extent they might be because you don't even have that's a grown-up move that you don't get yet all you have is unleash and and it's this idea that you by the end of your run on masks you have a more you know you don't have to finish creating your character because the game itself is a character creation exploration in a way that um isn't really the story in monster hearts right monster hearts is about not being this the monster that you might even believe you are whereas you know and it's just oh it's just so juicy and i mean i think it's just powered by apocalypse has a way of getting under your skin yes and I mean, let's talk a little bit about that because all sure. the Magpie games have a like a genre that they focus into. Yes, and 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 there's and they're all really you know character studies and mm-hmm. and is is that one of the strengths of Power by Apocalypse? Why is it Power by Apocalypse that you keep going to? And I know that <laughs> you're not in in some of the future ones, <laughs> but but you know it's 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 one of those you know big tools in your belt that you keep using. Yep. So we we actually did a panel on Powered by the Apocalypse this weekend. And one of the things uh, that we said at the panel is 
we don't see it as a system. We see it as a framework and a way to understand games and the relationship between the players and the GM. And basically, it's a framing device for us to start thinking about things. It's an incredibly useful framing device, and we like the kinds of things that it demands and requires, but we regularly play with a lot of the paraphernalia that looks like it might be the defining quality. So, like, two six-sided dice, rolling with a 10-plus and a 79 and a 6-minus, looks like it might be one of the quintessential qualities of Apocalypse World, but it's not, because we have done games that have messed with that. Zombie World is very much a Powered by the Apocalypse game at heart, but it doesn't have dice at all. And Bluebeard's Bride has many moves that do not have any dice at all. So that dice piece can't actually be core to the heart of it. And it's that fact of, like, it is a an overarching way of understanding the kind of thing we want to produce, the kind of fiction we want to aim for, and then we have to design entirely different systems within that framework. It's an ideology. It's just, exactly. it's just like a it's like a game theory philosophy. Yes. Yes. And and it very much appeals to us and it keeps us on the same page, which is why we kept going back to it because it was useful in all these different contexts. But also we really do feel like Masks is a different system than Urban Shadows, which is a different system than Bluebeard's Bride. All these games required a lot of work to get that particular iteration of the system down straight. And yeah, they borrow from each other. There are bits and pieces you can take and pull in. One of the most clear examples is in Cartel. There's a move for when you get shot that we basically took over into Zombie World. But that's because those two pieces of fiction align in that place. What happens when you get shot? It's either a mortal wound or a flesh wound. For most of them, you have to do so much work to make sure it does the thing you are aiming for. Uh, A lot of people describe it as the genre emulation, while also, though, still doing and saying the things you want to say. And that guarantees that when they are functioning at their height, they really can't overlap too much because they all have such different things to say. And a big thing I I noticed with Power by Apocalypse games is you have all the moves that are in front of the player. Yep. And, And it's a game where the rules are very player facing compared to when I run a Dungeons and Dragons game uh, at, at the Stormcrow Manor it's uh, it's all on me my players don't have to know anything they yep. just are do what they're told right they, they, they reach a challenge and I say this is the challenge that you have to meet yep. where there's a, there's more of an onus and an agency on the players to be a part of the world building yep. be a part of the solution and the details and the moves tend to be story prompts rather than a mechanical like a dexterity check it's when you want to calm someone down and yeah. and and the moves themselves are props to help motivate you into the narrative we like to use the term uh points of uncertainty where you moves are designed to say these are the moments of uncertainty when we shouldn't know what happens next and this is how we resolve that And part of the reason that is such an effective framework is because it allows you to say, actually, in this particular game that I'm doing, turns out violence is not actually uncertain. It's always terrible. Anybody who perpetrates it, it always goes this particular way. And as a result, that may not actually look like a move. That may not require dice. But we can then, in turn, say, this moment that I have decided to turn you on is, in fact, a moment of uncertainty. We need to sit up and pay attention and roll the dice because we don't know what's about to happen here. It's a lightning bolt in the middle of play. So those moves highlighting the points of uncertainty allow you to 
completely reshape what the fiction is. It's, the, it's a moment when both the player and the GM lose a moment of control. Yes. And it goes off into a direction that neither of us go. Because another, yes. another defining part of a lot of PBTA games is you don't prepare in advance. Yes. And it's, it's created in play, which can be, for someone who has GM games where they write the scenarios, can be terrifying. And it feel like this void. How are you supposed to play a game where you don't know where you're even going to start yep. when you sit down at the table? And then you actually start, and you, you're you just feeding, and it's a snowball effect that yep. you don't... It, 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 it appears itself to you, and you just have to trust that there is a story we want to tell, even if even if we don't know it yet. Yes. I mean, and part of our job as designers of these games is to make sure that at every level we are providing enough tools and, and things you may not even be thinking about that will instantly kickstart a story once we get to that actual moment of play. In the Root RPG, in an earlier playtest, uh, the playbooks were pretty limited because we were mostly playtesting the basic moves. And the net result was that the characters were ungrounded. They had not specific characteristics that tied them into the setting. Now, the characters all have lots of questions that immediately tie them into the woodland. And it turns out that that's basically handing a buffet of knives with which to stab these poor creatures because they care about things. And no, we don't have to know which one of those specific things will matter before we start playing because with that tapestry, the GM has so many options to pull from that the player has already said, yes, I am interested in this thing. Yes, this does matter to me. Please bring it into play. This is important to me. Oh, and then you follow their lead. Yes. And, and it does require a lot of um, a lot of empathy on the GM's part, too. You can't tell your game. You have to be a part of the player's story. And that brings us to the present. Uh, now, Root is something I uh, was not aware of the board game mm-hmm. uh, before this. I don't know the setting. Mm-hmm. And and so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing for Magpie where it's, it's not actually your IP that you're starting it in. So how did Root come to be? What is Root? What am I, what, what's happening? Because I like, I followed the Magpie games and now this thing has come out of, you know, from, from my blind side. I'm going, what is that? <laughs> tell me, how do? tell me, Brendan. How do, how do? Uh, so Root, the board game, is a game by Leader Games. Uh, and I picked up the copy at Gen Con last year. We played it. And then we played it more, and then we played it more, and played it more, and played it more. And one day, uh, while we were in the middle of playing, Mark said, this would make a really great RPG. I wonder if we can do that. And from that moment, that's how the Root RPG happened. We loved the board game, and we saw in it a lot of resonance with the kinds of themes we like to do. Political themes, the idea of what power is and what right and wrong can be when things shift around you. There's there's a thing in the Root setting where there are these different factions. There's the Marquise de Cat, and there's the Airy Dynasties, and the Woodland Alliance, and they look like they're good and bad. The Marquise de Cat came from a different place and is now taking over. The Woodland Alliance are the scrappy freedom fighters. Except explicitly, no one is good and no one is bad. There can be the moment where the Woodland Alliance has decided that we're going to let this clearing burn because it's better for fanning the fires of rebellion if these people lose their homes. And the Marquise de Katz faction can be like, we have actually built capacity and industry and we've improved the lives of the people who live in this clearing pretty clearly. That level of moral ambiguity is something that we love and we absolutely hooked into immediately in the board game along with the actual like machinations and who do we side with uh so there is a faction in the root board game which is the vagabond it is a really great part of that board game because it's just one piece running around causing havoc it is an adventurer it is an rpg character in the middle of a strategic board game 
And we latched onto that and said, this is what we want to do. These are vagabonds can be our RPG characters. Uh, you will play a group of them moving around the woodland. Uh, your quests, the things you undertake on the behalf of the people, the woodland denizens around you, that will reshape the woodland. Maybe you decide to support the Woodland Alliance in their rebellion. Maybe you decide to try to just protect the regular denizens. Maybe you decide the Erie dynasties have a point and they should be put back in power. But regardless, we're super excited at the idea that you are these figures of note, these powerful figures, moving around in a moving tapestry, a living world around you that's going to shift, uh, control of clearings will change, and your actions will be reflected in that setting. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. It looked a little too cutesy when I first saw it. Like, Apillion is a great game, but yep. it's also just kind of not for my personal style. Mm-hmm. And I'm, okay, I've underestimated Root. <laughs> I, I admit this. This sounds like a really gripping, challenging, another one where it's going to be like, you're going to start off and it's going to be like, ha, 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 and I'm be like, what is happening to my emotions? Yes. That is exactly the goal we want. I mean, all all due credit, part of the appeal of Root is Kyle Farron's wonderful art of these adorable little animal creatures. But the game has always had that edge of when you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, these adorable little animal creatures are marching to war. What is happening right now? And it's exactly what you said. We get you in the door with the adorable animal creatures. It happened with us when we played Masks. Yes. Uh, one of our players, Leon Weinstein, we were playing it. He was very much playing a very comic relief character, and it was all very light and happy. And then we got into an alternate timeline where his dead mother was now alive, and he had to leave that timeline in order to save the team and stop the villain. And it was oh. like, what? where did the pathos come from? And he had this, and he couldn't even meet her. He just had to tell his dad, hey... <laughs> Tell mom I said hi. And then he teleported away. And it was like this. So good. And, and, and to take the comic relief character and to, and it was just this, like, I mean, you're feeling, I mean, I get chills when I'm replying yes. at it. And I love when those games have that moment. Uh, when we played Monster Hearts, we had a player, we had to basically, this was before I knew of the X card, we would have used it. Then he, he stormed out of the room and, mm. and we kind of, we lost our safety bit mm-hmm. and he, mm-hmm. It wasn't because he wasn't mad at any of the players, but just the story just got so overwhelming. Yeah. And 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 it's and most of these games, you know, you start going la di da, and yeah. then you're like, what is? When did this? When did this matter? Yeah. Right? Yeah. When did this flip over into being real and actually hitting me? Yes. Well, and and so much of that is just what we just said. It's like the more that you can tell me, oh yeah, no, I have a I have a sibling who lives somewhere else in the woodland, and I periodically send money back home. I, I periodically check in on them. I make sure they're okay. That's Chekhov's gun. Then now exactly. now you have a sibling in another wood, and guess where they're marching? Or it, exactly, yeah. we are just waiting for that moment. And it's even little things where you you as a GM are given the tools to make moves. Like you come into this new clearing for the first time, and this. A uh, scrappy little fox comes up and he says, oh my gosh, are you those heroes that I heard supported the cats in that battle over there? Oh my gosh, you guys are so cool. Uh, I want to join the cat army. Can you guys give me one of your swords? And he's just this annoying character at first to them because he won't let go. And yet they will start to care. I have seen this happen multiple times. They will start to care and they will get worried about him because he's going to get in trouble and he's going to get himself hurt. He's romanticized all of this horror. Yes. Yeah. And and immediately we get this pathos out of what originally is a character who was kind of a joke and an annoying hanger-on. And that's exactly... Yeah, like the, the rabbit from Bambi. Yes. Yeah. And we, we live for that. We live for that, like tapestry of a story that can encompass both moods at the same time. 
I'm, I'm, I'm ready, but I, I know I'm not ready either at the same time. <laughs> so then, going from there into the future, I got to sit in on your panel this year at Gen Con to hear about awesome. the games that are coming. I'm very excited about Airlock. I hope I get to sit down with Marissa and talk about that one. Uh, I know that there's plans for like a second edition of Urban Shadows, which is yeah. super great. I know you did work on Zombie World, and, and, and yeah. there's stuff going on there. And then you've got this other thing where everyone else around here is like, oh, wow, Brendan's finally doing that? He's been talking about this one forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about Armored Society. Yeah, so, I mean, it has a similar sort of genesis point to Masks in that way of a little idea uh, coupled with some art and then percolating from there. Um, I have a friend uh, in close to Philly, Joe Zantek, who really loves uh, Jane Austen-level games, and so part of it was a desire to have a cool, awesome fantasy game years ago. This was before Good Society was out, so we didn't have that to pull on when we wanted to do Jane Austen. And so I started percolating on it from my perspective, what I wanted, and I wound up finding this series of art. I forget the name of the artist, and I apologize, but I believe they're called the Iron Ladies. They're these postcards of women in this incredibly intricate, uh, amazing armor. And it just made me be like this. I want these characters to be able to exist in an RPG. I want to be able to play a game that fosters this. And from that point, I started developing what would that world have to look like? Why would this be the case? That required me to think about what kind of mechanics then would support that kind of gameplay that then fits with that world and that kind of story. And on and on and on. Until eventually I go down a rabbit hole of also becoming invested in like Irish mythology and trying to actually pay attention to the stories that I was uh, that were shared with me when I was younger that uh, I never really paid as much attention to as I should have. Um, that thing where I realized as a kid I was lucky enough that my parents took me to Ireland and we saw all these incredible places, but I was a little shit. And so I didn't pay as much attention as you know, I should. I was have. born in Ireland. I did not. And, know and, you were and born I, there. I moved here when I was six, so I have no accent. But it was um, uh, I would visit there in the summer, and 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 it was something that not until I was an adult did I start realizing, like all like for such a small country, for the culture, the poetry, yes. the artwork, the stories, and you go five meters to the right and you're in a completely new culture and another background another mythology and yes. and there's so much tapestry behind it and so much history and yes. like you can spend time in one city and it's, it's it's something here in north america where it's just not appreciated where you have a single city that's been there for two thousand years yep. with all the politics and intrigue and goes on and yep. i hear you like like and, and 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 it was something that even when we're dealing with other games with mythologies the irish folklore kind of gets merged in like seventh yes. sea just kind of merges it all in with yes. british and wales and and it, 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 it really for the longest time they were doing their own thing and yes. it was wild and to the point i think the roman catholic church came in going what are you doing here we shut it down shut it down right nope. like they were started merging their you know catholic religion with with irish mythology and yes. characters and, and everything just it was just being workshopped. Yes. <laughs> it was so, it I mean, was so nuts. So much of it has that, like, when you understand that that history and you really get into it, and you're like, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense for how it really would have happened. It explains so much and is so fascinating. the The idea that I was reading about in the histories uh, that 
St. Patrick essentially had to pull in the beliefs of the people in Ireland in order to convince them to start converting to Christianity. He couldn't just present Christianity and say, no, 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 everything you held before is wrong. He had to adapt Christianity. It's a wild thing. So the, the Tower of Babel fell down, and one of the languages, when the language got split, was Irish. Yes. So now it's one of the oldest languages going right back to, like, the first chapter in and the Bible. And and we've established this. And then we have the, the Book of Invasions, which clearly establishes that the people currently living in Ireland are actually descended from Noah. Oh, my gosh. How funny. That turned out to be perfect. And it, that's fascinating to me. I love that. Uh, and uh, did you ever? Okay, you know where they filmed Star Wars uh, uh, the, on on Skellig Michael. Yes. And I got to go there. I got to walk up oh, there and learn awesome. about the mon the monks who would go there. There's this whole order of the further away from anyone else, the closer you were to God. So you would get like high monasteries on a mountain or out in the middle of nowhere. And so this was this island. You can't see Ireland on the horizon anymore. It's so far out into the ocean, and there's no fresh water on the island. So everything had to be collected by rainwater. So all the huts are like high and they collect and they collect into a reservoir that still works today and and it was so isolated and then even on this island there was another peak with one hut so if you want to get away even from the three other people there and it was just this this idea and it was just it was just uh, incredible it's just yeah this, this is what yes. happens with all and and then you have yeah yeah that's a whole podcast we could keep going on yeah I mean, so, so this is this is this fascination, and now yes. you're you're setting it into you. you, you I know it's the, the world is called Saraland, yes, and uh, and you have uh, this 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 other history that that's formed out of that. Yes, and th there are complicated concerns and questions there. Um, I actually do. I would recommend James Mendez Hodes put out a bunch of pieces that are great about like Lord of the Rings and uh, adaptations of historical fantasy. I know he's working on Thousand Arrows that adapts Japanese history. And we had him on. Yeah. Uh, uh, I interviewed him at the Breakout Con and mm -hmm. about his article on playing uh, uh, characters in another race. Yep. And yeah, no, he's a wonderful mind. Yes. And, and so there's a lot to think about. And for me in particular, uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest that some aspect of it was my desire to personally bothlerize history and combine things that I unfortunately I couldn't easily pull together. I know that the Roman Empire never actually made it to Ireland. They made it to Britain, but they never made it to Ireland. And so there's a part of me that wanted to play with a Romanized influence, not least because my idea of them is that they would purposefully adapt and pull pieces of the culture into their own in order to maintain a level of dominance by just saying everybody's culture is ours. So I am doing an alternate history purposefully in order to be able to play with some of these elements that might otherwise not have actually chronologically overlapped. And you could argue 700 years later, it kind of did happen yes. with the English and the way they were erasing Gaelic history yes. and moving in with their... You're just, you're just doing just it a little a bit earlier touch. from yes. a different group. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I want to be... I want obviously want it to be familiar enough that we can access it, that we can uh, comprehend it within our own scope, but... I'm also very much interested in Irish mythology for the fantastical elements, and I want those to be a through line of the entire story, uh, which then allows me to change the entire setting. So the reason why it's called Armored Society is because there are these giant holes into the other world that have opened up, and there are creatures that have come through. Uh, the Faemar, which I'm basing on, like, the Fomor of 
uh, Irish mythology as well as the Tuatha Dé Danann. Yeah, because this is this is the, the other wild part of Irish. There's not really like a pantheon in a traditional sense. It's not really gods and deities so much as just these other realms or planes and histories and precursors yes. that yes. have been there before. And then yep. then when humans showed up, they just got, went underground and transformed into fairies and other yep. other other creatures of folklore. And exactly. and it, it's it's just a very very different for compared to other European backgrounds. It's so unique compared to the Norse and compared to what happened in Greece and, and, and in Italy. Yep. And yeah, it's just, it's, it, and, and, and it's something that I think because of that, it doesn't get incorporated into the rest of it because it's so weird. Yeah, well, or it gets incorporated in a way that is at the most shallow. Like, I'll be perfectly honest, for years, I thought the term for fairy, as interpreted by Irish mythology, was she. And it is, but I didn't actually know that she is the word for the hills and that they're called she because they are supposed to live under the hills. And it's kind of a colloquialism, but I didn't realize the connection there, that that word meant a different thing than just straight up referring to the fairies themselves. And immediately, like, as soon as I knew that, I had to go deeper. And so it's that level of like, cool, we do have games in which the fairy are referred to as the she, and it's a useful sort of shorthand, and it gets us into the idea of the fairies. But I didn't want the shorthand. I wanted the deep thing. I wanted this idea of the Book of Invasions and the people who lived in Ireland, and then more people came, and they fought, and they displaced each other, and then more people came, and the Tuatha Dé Danann came, and then the Sons of Meal came. And I, I want that history, and I want got that... These layers on layers on layers yes. on layers so that you dig down deeper into these histories and there's something else in the foundation yes exactly yes and so that's that's a huge part of what i want i want this sense of history and a complex world in which these people uh i are not necessarily 100 sure who they are because they have enough identities and history to pull from that they can self-determine even as the world is pushing and pulling at them almost as if they have some struggles of identity and that may be a thing that i'm playing with again uh, shocking shock is shocking and horrifying uh, so uh, to because I know armor society is another like I will get back to you yeah like, I know that you, you did mention at the panel uh, in terms of the, what to expect when we're playing it that you have uh, these three sort of modes yes that you can choose in the game we could talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely so uh, we realized that armor society was not necessarily suited to the powered by the apocalypse system for the things we wanted to do with it. And we also realized that we wanted this wider world in which you could actually play. And what that means is that instead of having this hyper-focused, you are a team of young superheroes, or you are all aspects of the bride's mind. This is very clear and very always the same. Um, We wanted to give some options in terms of how to start and how to portray characters across the width and breadth of this land. So you can play the members of a court, uh, who are the leaders of some organization of power. You might be the court of a house or a clan, or you might be the court of the entire country. But the point is, then you are probably at odds with each other. There's probably a lot of PvP in there. There, there, there are often multiple kings at the same time. Exactly. exactly. Maybe punching each other a little bit, <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's great for the political intrigues, for the higher level play. Uh, but you might be an order. You might be a group of people connected by a clear hierarchy that gives you structure and demands you be together. Uh, Or you might be a band, 
uh, because I love the idea of the Fianna so much, where the Fianna were those bands of guys, uh, I think that they were often sort of the second sons or the, the ones, the extras. Is that were the Tiernan Oak story and those, the, the one guy who goes across and yes. he comes back and, yes. and Ocean and all that, like they're kind of wrapped into these, That's these exactly it. Yes. roaming hijinks. Yes, because Finn McCool was the leader of the uh, Fianna at that time, and I think that was supposed to be the last of the true Fianna. Um, and I love that band idea because it's just so interesting and so cool. The idea that these guys are like, we're supposed to be doing good across the land and we will only answer to the high king. Yeah, they're acting like they're the Jedi or, exactly. or, or, or specters in Mass Effect. Except, exactly. except also there is no high king and you're just, exactly. you're, just, you're just saying it and everyone's going, oh, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Thumbs up. <laughs> we like this play because one day maybe I'll be high king and then you'll obey me. That's never going to happen. It reminds me also, like Dogs in the Vineyard, if yes. you remember that old game. It was, yep. uh, where you just, you, because you're wearing the coat, you show up in town. Everyone just has to kind of take your word on it. Yes. And you are above your own law. In a, it's just sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's, fan, uh, yeah. it's fantastic as an idea. And it fits, like, gamers can easily uh, latch onto it because it's kind of an adventuring party with a little bit more structure and theme added to it. But it allows you to play like you are the group of almost rogues moving around. The band sounds like it's the closest to what Magpie has done in the past with other games, and that's, mm-hmm. in a way, that insert, if, if you still want that experience, and exactly. that's where that's your entry point is from all these other games, yeah. here's your gateway in. But if you're coming into this game because you uh, are Jane Austen, like you were saying, yes, or you're coming exactly. in from like the 7th C, or you're coming yes. from other intrigue games, you can enter in through the court side, and yes. you've got... For that more organizational, if you're into like building strongholds and counting money, then you got the order side as well. Yes. So you've got multiple roads into this game rather than, um, you know, do you want to be teen superheroes? Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and with the final point being that these are just entryways, but over the course of play, you can totally skip from one to the other. If you are exiled from your court, maybe you become a band. Maybe it's time to start roaming the countryside. Or maybe the band winds up becoming the people of power in a brand new house. I mean, I know it's a different mythology. Robin Hood ends up going to the court at the end, right? Exactly. Like that's, But definitely starts off as a band. Yes, exactly. And, and so we want that ability for you to pass, not least because, as I said multiple times on the panel, I find it adorable to imagine, like, the band will wind up having to do a dance. And the dance has intricate, complicated social rules that you must obey, and they are very ill-prepared I, for I it. I remember it was in Witcher 3, at the very beginning of that, you have to go through a number of button combinations to remember to bow. Yes. And then you have the option when you walk into the room to just be like, what's up? And not and just refuse to. Yep. I want that moment because it's great. Because I want these people thrust into situations they're not prepared. And I mean, obviously, the vice versa as well. The court forced to go into the wild and be like, oh, my gosh, now there's a giant Feymar creature in front of my face. And it would like to eat me. And I am ill-prepared for this. So for the most part, going back now, Masks is, for intense, is, is, is concluded. It's what it is is out. Is there any more development happening on Masks? Yes. We don't want to just leave Masks alone necessarily. So we are considering uh, multiple different projects and avenues. There have been a lot of requests from fans for things like a way to play villains or a way to play adult heroes. So we are actually percolating on those because we know there's enough interest in them that it may be worth it for us to come back and try and offer some kind of official support 
beyond that, even there are a few ideas uh, running around. In particular, I'm toying with one for a Gotham-style city and setting for masks that would be a little bit darker, but that would get into a different set of themes than Halcyon's almost more metropolis. Well, style. like more play sets. Like we played through exactly. the uh, the one that Misha uh, Bushager wrote, yes, and yes. with this alternate alien invasion story, and and so maybe some more narratives like that. Yep. And uh, and and what, what's the timeline here on Roots? That's a little bit more present-minded. Yep. So Root is uh, right around the corner for Kickstarter, uh, and then after that we will be doing everything in our power to have Root here before the next Gen Con. And Armored Society is in the distance. It is distance. Because you're working on a new system that that isn't defined yet. It's just going to be this Magpie game system. Exactly. We we have initial ideas. We've started percolating on it and doing initial playtests. But there's a lot of work to do there to establish that, to establish the overall setting. Of course, there's an exciting side that there's going to come a time. I think you announced there was going to be like a like there'll be like an open alpha at some point in the future. Yes. So we will all get an opportunity to be a part of building like the next powered by apocalypse. the next one that's going to be like who that's knows hope. if that becomes a new pillar yep. uh, uh, for games because. Uh, one of the questions I asked at the panel was about approachability, and I understand that's going to be a big thing to still make it so that this is. One of the things that has worked so well with introducing your games to my friends has been how simple it is to catch them up regardless of their experience levels or expectations. Yep. It's, it's easy to get you started, but, you know, and then, and then hard to, you know, look away. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where this is going. I'm, I, uh, thank you so much. Magpie's had such a cool year. I, uh, thank you for letting me be involved this Absolutely. year at your booth. And uh, I hope I, I hope I you know get to come back again and, and, and continue these conversations, Brendan. We where can we find more about you uh, if we wanted to follow up on on all these projects and the things that you're doing sure. uh, here in the future? So uh, a lot of this stuff we're going to be talking about through our Magpie Games official channels. There's MagpieGames.com, which is our official website. We have a blog there. We will update with some of this information. We already have a lot of our new announcements listed there. Uh, our Magpie Games Twitter also often calls out anything new that's coming out. Uh, me personally, I mostly communicate through those as I am a recluse and I like to hide in a dark room and read my crazy books. Same though. Uh, it's like being in a radio studio and just talking to myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if you want to follow more about any of these projects, those are the best places. All right, Brandon, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy what few hours remain of Gen Con. <laughs> oh, you too. You as well. And thank you so much for having me. Special thanks again to the fine folks at Magpie Games for letting me spend time at their booth, getting to meet all the different people there, and in particular to Brendan Conway for giving me so much of his time to talk about Masks, Root, and Armored Society. You can find out more about these games at magpiegames.com. And next week on The Terrible Warriors, we are back at the game table with a table of players new and old to play the Root Tabletop Role-Playing Game, which is going into Kickstarter on September 17th. You're not going to want to miss this. It was a lot of fun, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors, where you can stay in the know, as well as if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, this show is, of course, brought to you by supporters at Patreon at patreon.com slash terriblewarriors. They have been so patient with us while we've been on our hiatus, but you know what? We're coming back. We're going to have exclusive debrief episodes of the Root Game, so you're going to want to head over to the Patreon page to be involved in joining along with that We'll be back on Tuesday with the first of four episodes in our Root role-playing game actual play experience helping to promote their Kickstarter that is starting on September the 17th as well. 
So we'll see you right back here at this table, yeah? Right here? On the Terrible Warriors. <laughs> <laughs>